You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey, let's talk about money. I want to show you how to keep more of your own money, and that's more important right now than ever. And how's this for starters? Skip your single biggest bill for the next two months. Of course, I'm talking about your house payment. Most of us have gotten used to living without that money. Just gets drafted right out of our account. But imagine now for a minute, if you didn't have to make your May payment, you didn't have to make your June payment. You're done until July 1st and come July 1st, you could say five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. We routinely help our podcast listeners get out of debt faster and do it with cheaper monthly payments. And I'm talking to you if you're in a 30 year loan. It's not a matter of if I can save you money. It's a matter of how much we've recently been able to help some podcast listeners get interest rates in the twos and threes. You know, you're paying more than that. Why would you do that? Keep more of your own money, pay your house off faster and get rid of all your credit card debt. Here's the worst part about credit card debt. Not only is the interest rate outrageous, but you can't write off any of that interest. Whereas the interest you pay on a mortgage is tax deductible. So if you could skip a couple of house payments, get a lower monthly payment, knock out all of your credit card debt and pay your house off faster, all at a greater tax deduction. Why wouldn't you do that? Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. I know what you're thinking. You don't need perfect credit to do this. You don't need money out of your pocket to do this. And if I can't save you money, I won't waste your time. We're licensed in more than 40 States. So get yourself a quick quote right now. Make this the best summer ever. Take a little spring break from house payments at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And by the way, the national media may be telling you that some big lenders are requiring 700 credit scores with 20% down. Not the case at savewithconrad.com. We're still able to help families with credit scores in the 500s. And we'd be glad to hook you up too at savewithconrad.com. Thompson, and you're listening to Arn right here on Westwood One. And of course, we couldn't do the show without the star, the Hall of Famer himself, the founder of the Four Horsemen, Double A, the enforcer himself, Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? I'm doing great. I'm very fortunate. Uh, everyone's healthy here at my home. I'm very thankful for that. Prayers and thoughts to the ones out there that are are battling this. Uh, ongoing issue we have uh, worldwide and just proud of everybody for hanging in there and let's get through this together amen we uh we're getting through it together by broadcasting from the safety of our home Arn's at his house i'm at mine i hope you're still staying in yours and uh, i hope that you're enjoying the uh, extra content that we're cranking out we've got some fun stuff coming up uh that uh, we should mention right at the top of the show adfreeshows.com i think I don't know if you've heard this yet, Arn, but I think me and Mrs. Anderson have worked it out 
to where you and I are going to watch an old title change and a pretty big historic moment in horseman history where Arn and Tully win the belts back in 88. This is going to be fun. Is it not? Yeah. I don't ever get tired of seeing me win a match because it's so few and far between it's special. I, I'll be honest. I had to hunt high and low to find one where you went over, but I found one <laughs> and, and it's happening. It's uh, April 20th, 1988. I think it aired on the six Oh five show a few days later, but I'm excited to watch it with you. It's uh, it's such a great moment. And we're going to do that as a little bonus content over at adfreeshows.com. Let's get to the matter at hand every other week here on the show. We switch it up and let you guys sort of drive the show and give you the keys and you're in control. Ask Arn anything you want. And if you missed your chance this week, follow us on Twitter. You can ask a question in two weeks. It's at the Arn show on Twitter. That's where you need to look. Uh, without further ado, let's get into it. Here's a fun one from Michael Eldridge. He says, Arn has to choose a gimmick to portray the candy man, Johnny B bad or the kiss demon. So not which one did you like better arm, but which one would you do if you had to pick one candy man, Johnny B bad kiss demon. Wow. I guess kiss demon. (laughs) Yeah. Odd as that may sound, you don't see me, uh, even though Johnny B. Bad has prescribed to the tanning yes. part. Yes, he has. That is probably the only thing we have in common. Uh, he's got abs. I don't. He's got a pop gun. I don't. He's young. I'm not. So that's out. The Candyman gimmick, I'm not sure that I ever figured out truly what that was other than Brad Armstrong with striped pants and throwing out candy canes. And I got to tell you, that's the one I thought you would pick. And I think it's hysterical. I almost want to come trick or treat at your house. Just hoping you'll answer the door and sling some shit out the door and say, get out of here, fucker. And shut the door. That'd be fun. (laughs) Only problem is some of these ruffians in our neighborhood might burn my house down. Might not be a good idea. (laughs) I can't imagine you in the kiss makeup. I don't know why that tickles me, but it does. Well, I think you all, all you got to do is just kind of sit there and thump on a base and stick your tongue out with some blood flying off of it. Isn't it? Okay. In that case. Yeah. I mean, I guess we kind of got it, but I'm sure Dave Silva just heard what we're talking about and he's found a way to Photoshop some kiss makeup on your face. Go check it out at the orange show on Twitter. I'm sure it's there by the time this makes air. Well, let me just say that I was a big Kiss fan. Now, that's part of my era, you know. This is all meant favorably. Oh, no, I'm with it. I'm just saying the idea that you uh, had the cat makeup on or the star man, it's just uh, hard to imagine. Listen, when Gene Simmons sees this, me portraying myself as him or any member of Kiss, He's either going to sue us or he's going to send the hit man over, or he's going to hire some of the neighborhood kids to burn the house down. Something bad's going to happen from this. I, uh, I can't wait to ask you this next one. This is going to be fun. Michael Eldridge is bringing the noise today. He says, choose your stipulation Arn. chamber of horrors where Arn gets electrocuted or a 45 minute match with Eligante. Oh Lord. Now is, is that a real question? Yeah. I mean, I got to tell you, I feel like if I know you by now, you'd say just electrocute me and get the shit over with. That won't take 45 minutes. 
Eligante clotheslined me one time, and I felt like I'd been electrocuted. <laughs> and when I went to get off, to go off on him after the match backstage, he looked at me with his big eight-foot-tall ass and said, Rick hurt me. I said, well, clothesline Rick, you dumbass. You almost killed me. Rick had chopped him in the back and pissed him off, tagged me in, and I got killed. What, what's, what's that all about? So that's a no-brainer. Hook me up, fry me like a piece of bacon. Josh Kuhn has a couple of fun questions. Uh, the first one is, why does Arn think a wonderfully talented performer like beautiful Bobby Eaton never got a shot in the WWF? And I got to tell you, Arn, I never even thought about that. I just thought, well, Bobby's been everywhere, but no, I don't guess he ever was in the WWF. Why do you think that never happened? I don't know that Bobby had a desire to go up there, to be honest with you. He was much more comfortable staying down south. He had a job for a long, long time. If you combine all the years that Bobby was with uh, Cornette and Jim Crockett Promotions, Smoky Mountain, WCW, Bobby had a hell of a run. I'm not sure that he would have ever desired because he did know and he did hear about how painful the travel was and and how hard you had to work and how you know he would see living close to me how much i was gone so not sure he wanted to go if he would have uh attempted to go up there i would hope he would have went with cornet because that package would have protected bobby a little bit you got to be able to talk on the mic when it's when it's called on, and uh, that wasn't one of Bobby's strong suits. And as long as you had Cornette, nobody noticed. It didn't matter. You know, Stan Lane was up there, you know, just as a sort of interview guy, but it would have been fun to see a Midnight Express in the WWF. Uh, Josh writes in, if Arn had to take one of Conrad's other podcast partners under his wing and train him to be his tag team partner, who would it be and why? Now, woo, that's a tall order because you'd be picking from uh, Eric Bischoff, Tony Schiavone, Jim Ross, or Bruce Pritchard. And you've got to pick one who would be Arn's tag team partner. Oh, I'd love to have Schiavone in the corner so I could torture him. <laughs> <laughs> it would be worth my time and effort just to see him fall down and the commotion that he would cause trying to get back up just once. Yeah. Talk- you used to say that uh, Larry Zabisco was a cigar store Indian. Can you imagine Tony Schiavone in the corner looking for the tag? You know, it may be a big swerve on all of us, and no disrespect to the other guys. I just like to torture Tony, but it might be a swerve. Tony might be half-ass tough, and nobody be able to get him off his feet. What a swerve that would be. In fairness, he's lived in the same house with Lois for thirty years, so he probably knows a thing or two about defending himself. And if you don't. If you don't think he's been hit with a plank in the back of the head a time or two, you're wrong. <laughs> Josh Kuhn also writes, any memories of working with Andre the Giant? He's become a mythical-like figure, and we haven't spent a lot of time talking about him here on the show. He was a real giant in every sense of the word. There's been some tall guys in the business. Big show, I never considered as, you know, being a giant means that your head was the size of the Liberty Bell and your ass was four feet wide. You were just 
so big, it's so out of proportion for any normal human being, truly was like a mythical giant. And there was only one of those, and that was Andre. Uh, you would get it. I wrestled him twice, mm. and it was in Pensacola, and it was a handicap match both nights. It was Jerry Stubbs and myself. And at that point in time, Andre's back was not as bad as it was later on. Probably 10 years later, his back was just shot. When I was up there working, you know, for WWF, it was, his back was really terrible. But at this point, he was still pretty mobile. And, uh, you know, you would just wait for him to either call you into a hallway or not. Normally he would not. There would be no conversation um, about anything other than the referee would say, Andre's going to knock you both down, stack you up, sit on you, and that's the finish. And that's the way it went down. And he would let you know if you were trying to get some heat on him in a working way and all this stuff, the two of you, he would just reach out there and give you about a half-ass chop. Nothing meant to hurt you. Nothing meant to cripple you. He could have if he would have wanted to, but he was just letting you know, hey, I'm a giant. I am the giant. You are a regular mortal. Doesn't matter that it's two of you. We're going to do what I want to do, period. And you would just kind of follow along, and he would bounce you around until he felt it was time to finish it. And uh, he didn't go off his feet. He didn't come close to going off his feet, and that was just fine with me. I just wanted to get out of there with my life. But he always treated me every time I was in the room with him with nothing but respect. And in the ring, he was, he was a, he was a giant. It was, it was breathtaking that what he would let you know that he could do if he wanted to, but he was always very respectful. He never hurt anybody unless he meant to. And, uh, just being in there with him was a humbling, humbling experience. I know it's uh, a silly question, but we've heard so many fantastic tales about drinking with Andre. Did you ever get to drink with Andre? Spend any time with him at a bar? I did. I did. Um, Tully and I, a few nights would come in the hotel bar and, and you know, that was where all the drinking went on when I was up there was in the hotel bar because every morning was a six o'clock flight, right? That's a four o'clock wake up. Doesn't matter. If you're staying right at the airport, you got to get up, you got to shower up, got to make sure you got everything packed. The whole deal, you got to get there an hour beforehand. And if you didn't get there a little bit before that, you got a bunch of wrestlers lined up. And, uh, you know, everywhere we went, was a there was a line, you know, to get through security, to get on the plane. When you landed, rent a car, all a bunch of wrestlers in line, get to the hotel where everybody stayed, everybody in line. So it was uh, one of those rituals. So getting back to the original subject matter, we would go drink with Andre a few nights and buddy, he would buy several rounds, but a round to him was, you know, he would look at what you were drinking. He would, he would get you like if it was two or three of us together, he would order a platter of beers and he would sit one platter of beers there. He would get a bucket of ice and put maybe six beers in it. And he would have his all sitting there, maybe maybe as many as 20 beers on a platter. 
and he would just start knocking them out. I know he drank uh, 20 bottles of wine or something one night. Just like everything else, Andre was on a whole different level. And, uh, but he never changed. He would just sit there and drink and, you know, he would look around and hopefully he was smiling. If he was smiling, everybody else was smiling and, uh, everybody would bring him over drinks and stuff and he would accept the ones. This was what, what I thought was so cool. He would accept the drinks from the guys that he liked, but when the fans would come over thinking that if they could just buy him a drink, they could just hang out. At that point in time, he would just look at him and go, no, thank you. And that was it. Everybody got it. Everybody understood. He wasn't just going to, you know, in the in there to meander around and, and just be uh, life of the party. He was kind of doing his own thing. He was respectful to everybody. But, man, could he put it away. One question here from pop vinyls, friend of the show. He writes, Hey, Arn, how's your better half enjoying having you at home all the time now? Also, can you give us your top dessert from the missus? Whoa. She makes a chocolate cake to where she takes chocolate chips and actually melts them down and blends them in with the, with the icing. So it's a heavy sum bitch. I mean, it's, if you like chocolate cake, it is moist, it is heavy, and it has, I would say, to the point of almost having too much icing, if that's possible. And it's it's my favorite. Now, she makes an awesome strawberry cake that the boys like, and, uh, you know, she's just a good cook all the way around, obviously, by looking at her husband, but that chocolate cake steals the show. Well, I feel like, uh, I'm going to have to check that out next time I'm up that way. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You better. I hate Steven singer. And you know what else I hate? Everything that's happening in the world right now. Our heart breaks for those who have lost loved ones, those who are ill, struggling, small businesses, and everyone affected by this. Normally Steven singer is in the love business and the happiness business. And this is the time when I would announce his new rose color for mother's day, but this year is different. I'm announcing his brand new, I love you 24 karat gold dipped rose. It's a beautiful pink blush color rose that will hopefully brighten your loved one's day. But Steven wants to put a little love in everyone's days. So he's using a portion of every rose sold to support local restaurants by purchasing catering for all the incredible nurses, doctors, and first responders and hospital workers. You can purchase an, I love you rose and know that you're sending love to the moms in your life while supporting local restaurants and thanking our essential workers. If you're looking to celebrate someone, simply say, I love you or honor mom on mother's day. Steven singer is shipping as fast and safely as possible. Steven treats his customers as family and is here for you. Go now to I hate for free and touchless delivery and also include a personalized message of love. That's I hate Michael Eldridge writes in, given the recent talks about the late Nancy Benoit being in the hall of fame, who's on orange Mount Rushmore of wrestling valets. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about that, but man, back in your day, you worked with some greats, some legends, wrestling valets. Do you have like a top four? I have a top three and it would be Elizabeth. It would be Nancy and it would be Sherry Martell. Yeah. 
and I would probably hold out that last slot to see what evolves in the next 10 years or so. But those three right off the, right off the top of my head. Ricky Morton's mullet writes, I know you and Pee Wee Anderson are both from Rome, Georgia. Can you give us some Pee Wee stories? He was my favorite referee of all time. Pee Wee and I were very close for a long, long time. Um, and then we got into business kind of together and I just said, Hey, listen, Bob Armstrong has got me booked for three weeks. You want to go down there with me? Pee Wee wasn't working at the time. He said, sure. So he went down there with me for the three weeks. You know, that was my first experience with a territory. So I didn't know what to expect. And he was just kind of there to keep me awake driving and stuff. Then we went out to Bill Watts. He went out with me out there. Uh, Same thing. I got hired. I said, listen, you know, I'll buy your beer. I'll feed you wherever we stay. I'll make sure there's a couch there for you to stay on or whatever the deal may be. It won't cost you a dime. Just go out there with me. Cause again, I don't know, don't know what to expect. And I'd already heard that the trips were just horrendous. So he would be there as a relief driver. So we had been friends probably since the ninth grade in high school. Uh, we ran into each other wrestling, amateur wrestling. Um, he went to a different high school, but we wrestled in a lot of the same tournaments, and obviously we would wrestle them in a dual meet and different things. And I just, I just liked him. He's just a funny guy, and just uh, we just got along great. And uh, Pee Wee was a drinker. He, I used to laugh at that whiskey nose he had. That's what I would call it, whiskey nose. Had busted blank veins in it and blood vessels where he'd siphon that liquor down his neck. <laughs> but uh, one night we went out, we got separated, and, and I, I went home before Pee Wee, but he was staying over at my house with me. He was going to sleep over there. He was going to get somebody to bring him in. So in my grandmother's house where, where I lived, you would come from the outside into a what was a screened-in porch, but it had been turned into a room, and we had put a six-foot freezer out there because my grandfather had a, a vegetable garden in, at our house. And uh, he would obviously harvest all those vegetables and put them in that six-foot freezer. So I'm laying in the bed, and I'm almost asleep, and I hear the door shut. And I go, in my whatever haze that I was in at that time, I had had probably way too much to drink, too. I went to myself, that's got to be peewee. So I kind of dozed back off, thinking he would come in that second door any second. So I started to kind of doze off, and I went, well, he didn't come in. I wonder, did he go back outside? So I get out, and I walk out of my bedroom door that door shut the next one that goes to the outside and I'm looking where did he go I open the door look outside he's not laying in the grass passed out go out look in the cars he's not in the cars I come back in and as I'm passing that six foot freezer which now had had the lid down on it for about five minutes I hear Sounds like a giant rat's crawling around in here. And I open up the freezer. Pee Wee has been laying in that freezer for about five minutes. So, man, what the hell's the matter with you? You're going to suffocate in here. 
hell, hell, I had to get cold. Oh, my God. <laughs> had I not came out and checked on him, the man would have suffocated and been a fudge sickle the next morning. That's one of the more famous Pee Wee Anderson stories. Unfortunately, uh, next Tuesday will be, I guess, the 18-year anniversary of us losing him. Man, he passed away young, just 42 years old, right? Yeah. Yeah, he had been in bad health and uh, cancer. And, uh, man, when cancer comes calling, that that's what I lost both of my grandparents, too. Everybody, you better sit up and, and listen. It, I know that technology today and treatments are a lot more advanced than what they were, but it came and got him when it came calling. It took him pretty quick. It's a shame. He was one of the greats, man. Let's uh, let's try to talk about something a little more fun. Ricky Morton's mullet wants to know, do you have a favorite piece of wrestling memorabilia? I know over the years, Arn, you've uh, been fortunate enough to let some collectors take some trunks and boots and things like that. Do you have one thing that you've hung on to that's sort of your prized wrestling possession that you don't think you'll ever part with? Um, I don't think so. I didn't collect a lot of memorabilia. I probably should have. Um, I kind of collected some outside stuff. I'm, I'm such a football fan and baseball fan and basketball fan, you know, which, uh, which I guess I just like sports with the exception of don't take this the wrong way out there. Soccer fans. It's just hard for me to get into soccer. But I like, you know, the other big three. And I've kind of collected some stuff, you know, autographed footballs and baseballs and stuff and basketballs and Lawrence Taylor practice, practice jersey, which is one of my prized possessions. Uh, Paul Lee dangerously got that for me. I'm a huge Lawrence Taylor fan. Um, but I was, it, more so the stuff I collected was from outside the business, and it's basically just to pass it down to my boys. Um some cool guys, you know, uh, some big stars in the NFL and pro baseball and uh, pro basketball, you know, signed basketballs and stuff. Not so much big collector of the memorabilia uh, from the wrestling world. You know, I still got a few pair of boots. I still got my tights. And there's a brain buster jacket or two in there, I think, maybe an enforcer jacket. Um somewhere in there but that's i kind of hang on to those for the boys and uh not a big collector bad money slim right Halliburton briefcases have been synonymous with wrestlers and the horsemen with that being said what did you guys keep in them and certainly the answer can't be just wrestling trunks sorry to disappoint but uh just a gear bag. And the reason everybody had those is you would go from territory to territory and you would only be there six months. You didn't, you know, in those days while, we, while you were climbing the ladder. And, and the whole theory for having Halliburton is because you could lock it. Yeah. Put your valuables in there while you're in the ring. Not to say that you didn't trust anybody, but the fact is we're all human. Um you didn't know you weren't there long enough to really to get to know anybody to the point of just being able to leave everything you had, you know, your watch, your wallet, car keys, you name it, 
you know, other jewelry, guys that have made it. You know, some guys carried around a chunk of cash back in the day for whatever reason. I never did get that. Uh, but anyway, it was basically just to be able to lock it and take care of your valuables. Late to the Nitro Party writes in, any good wildfire Tommy Rich stories? Uh, I wasn't around Tommy very much. Uh, he had, he was a few years ahead of me in the business. When I first started, got to Atlanta uh, with Matt Bourne and Paul Ellering. Uh, Tommy was in a hell of an angle with Buzz Sawyer. Yep. They, were do, they were doing huge business. You remember that? Mm-hmm. And, man, they had some cage matches where they literally just about bled to death. And it was my first experience seeing guys work at that level. I had been to Louisiana, saw Ted DiBiase, who was a very accomplished worker, and there were a few other guys that were were very, very good hands. Matt Bourne was a good hand, you know. Um, but, uh, man, they had it down, and they had worked together God knows how many times, and they would have just unbelievable cage match. And uh, I was really, really respectful of Tommy and his work. And, you know, he was he was over back in the day. You know, he was as over a baby face. This is pre-Hogan and, and all of those guys. But he was as hot a baby face in Georgia as – is anybody, I guess, of that era. Do you have a, uh, Tommy rich impression? <laughs> Somebody tell mom and them babies, if I don't be making home tonight, I'm somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> that was on command. That was so great. Uh, Matt Coon writes in, Arn, what's your favorite Led Zeppelin album? And did you ever see any of the members live in concert? I saw Led Zeppelin in the Omni. I want to say it was 75 or 76. Unbelievable. Uh, Physical Graffiti and Led Zeppelin 4, uh, Stairway to Heaven is my favorite song of all time. But I uh, love Physical Graffiti as well. I, like, I, I had all their stuff. I've still got all their albums upstairs or CDs, not albums, but the CDs upstairs. I love Led Zeppelin. The good old days. Uh, let's talk about, and this is a fun one because we've, we've teased it before, uh, Austin writes, can you talk more about the schedule on the road? We've heard that you guys would get to town, go to the gym, etc. Did you have to pay for gyms or were those guys always fans? And also does Arn have any Jake Roberts stories? So we'll, we'll table Jake Roberts for now, but just carry me through and we won't talk about your most recent WWE run. Let's talk about maybe back in the Crockett days, what the schedule looked like when you would get to town and try to find a place to eat and a gym and the whole deal. Well, well, once we started flying and you were landing in a, a different town, uh, it would just depend on if you, are you flying private or you're flying commercial because plane schedule was completely different. Uh, when we first got the private planes and we started leaving later in the afternoon, of course, you would get up and train in Charlotte, go make a town, come back that night. Anytime you had time in the afternoon, but if you had to leave early in the morning, you would get to the town. First thing you do, get your rental car. If you were going to be staying over, which was very rare because you always wanted to get to the next town that night, uh, then you would go find a gym. 
and not check into a hotel. Now, if you're going to check into a hotel, you would get your rental car, you go check in a hotel so that you got that out of the way. Uh, make sure you grab the towel, threw it in your bag so you didn't forget it for uh, that night. And then you would go find a gym. And it's funny, you asked about paying. When business was hot, wherever I was, whatever territory, when I first got to Jim Crockett Promotions, business was not on fire. It just wasn't. And you would go to gyms and nobody knew who you were. Nobody was watching. Nobody was coming. You weren't a big, you weren't a big deal. You were just... You know, you would come in, say, you know, it was the same pitch every time. Hey, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm from out of town. I'm just passing through. If they would ask, you would tell them what you were there for. If not, you would just say, I just wanted to use your facility for a day, for the day today. I'll be here an hour, maybe an hour and a half. That's it, tops. And when your business was not hot and they didn't know who you were, you would pay a, a day fee. And that would be anywhere from back in those days, five to ten bucks. Um, you know, 10 bucks was a lot of money back then, but you I mean your livelihood depended on being in shape. So you was not an option. You were investing in your own craft and your own body, your own livelihood, your own profession. So you pay whatever it, if it would have been 20 bucks, which would have been huge money back then. You would have paid it because you had to go to the gym. Then you would go to the gym knock it out, come back, hopefully have a couple of hours. Some guys like to eat a little something. Then I couldn't, I had about a five hour window before wrestling. I, I have such a slow metabolism. I couldn't eat about five hours or so. So I'd make sure when we're going to be training in the afternoon, I would eat early. I'd eat a couple of light meals early first thing in the morning, then something about mid morning. Then I wouldn't eat again till after the show. Um, but that was about it. Now, when business was red hot, you couldn't pay. When everybody was watching, the numbers were up on TV, people were coming to the matches. It's funny, no matter, it was just wrestling was hot. It's like when Jim Crockett got hot and the WWF got hot, they were already half-ass hot, but we went into competition with them. It was like, oh shit, the wrestlers are here. And uh, it was a big deal. It just depended on the complexion of the business, on whether you paid or you didn't. But then you would make a round and you would start to learn where the gyms were. And because you went to the towns a lot more regular in those days than you do now, obviously. And uh, guys would start to know you and there would be some familiar faces. And after a year or so, you were home team and then it turned into two years, and they became like acquaintances, and then the third year evolved, and damn, if they were still at the gym or whatever the deal was, you'd become friends with these guys. So it was, it was a different era, different whole story and whole evolution of, of the business period. Brian Blade writes in, I'm finishing the Nikita Koloff book and I love it, but in it, he states, you guys didn't really get along his first couple of years, but eventually you guys were fine. Why did you guys not get along or was that just his perception? Well, probably because he was hard to get to know and he was protecting the Russian gimmick and I was a major league smart ass, probably a bad combination. Um, Nikita had a, uh, he had a mindset that for the business and, um, basically it was going to get in. 
take whatever he had to take, make as much money as he possibly could, and he probably had a figure in mind. And when he got to the point of he had made that that much money, he was already saying, hey, pretty much just I want to come in, I want to get wealthy, and I want to quit, and that's it. And I never could understand that because all I wanted to do was get in and stay in forever because I love the business. It's the way I wanted to make a living my entire life. Whether or not I got rich was beside the point. You know, the fact that I could go to the gym every day, go cool off, go to a different arena every single night and wrestle in front of a crowd and experience that feeling, that rush, that it's almost like a drug for you. And uh, do that for a living, That and people actually pay me to do that, was it was a dream job. It still is a dream job. It's the best way to make a living in the world. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't uh, absorb Nikita just wanting to come in and take, 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 and then get out and do something else. And that was probably one of the big stumbling blocks. I hate Steven Singer. And you know what else I hate? Everything that's happening in the world right now. Our heart breaks for those who have lost loved ones, those who are ill, struggling small businesses, and everyone affected by this. Normally, Steven Singer is in the love business and the happiness business. And this is the time when I would announce his new rose color for Mother's Day, but this year is different. I'm announcing his brand new I Love You 24 karat gold dipped rose. It's a beautiful pink blush color rose that will hopefully brighten your loved one's day. But Steven wants to put a little love in everyone's days. So he's using a portion of every rose sold to support local restaurants by purchasing catering for all the incredible nurses, doctors, and first responders and hospital workers. You can purchase an I love you rose and know that you're sending love to the moms in your life while supporting local restaurants and thanking our essential workers. If you're looking to celebrate someone, simply say, I love you or honor mom on mother's day. Steven singer is shipping as fast and safely as possible. Steven treats his customers as family and is here for you. Go now to I hate for free and touchless delivery and also include a personalized message of love. That's I hate Steve writes, did you ever work with Billy Jack Haynes? I grew up on Don Owens and Portland wrestling. Any good stories about Billy Jack or that territory? Uh, I never, uh, I never did work with Billy there. He can, he was here for a time when I first got here and Ole and I worked with him in Wahoo around the loop. And, uh, needless to say that was physical. Uh, Billy Jack was, you know, at the times that I worked with him, he was on a very even keel. You know, the guy was, looked like a tree in dollars. He looked as good as anybody in the business at that time. And him and Wahoo made a very good team. And Ole and I, I thought, jailed real pretty well with those guys. And uh, we had some very physical matches around the loop with them. I never did get to go to um, Oregon, but I heard that Don Owens' territory up there was much like Pensacola, very short trips, very relaxed atmosphere, uh, just a easy place to work, and that's where I think Billy spent most of his time. I think that's where his home was. That was his home territory, and uh, 
had some good experiences working with Billy. I, the people loved him. I mean, he was over. He looked the part. And he was very physical. Over the more recent years, he's become a little bit of a controversial figure. He said some pretty outrageous things on social media and YouTube and things like that. Did you uh, ever have any conversations with him and think, man, this guy's uh, he's got some different opinions? Well, not really. You know, I, I didn't talk to him or spend any downtime with him. The only time I saw him pretty much at all would be just, you know, during those Crockett years, our paths didn't cross any time after that very much. Uh, so we didn't sit down and just have a, you know, a casual conversation and just chewing the fat. We just, it was business pretty much across the board with him. Uh, Mayhem writes something I think a lot of people have wanted to know. Have you seen and can you comment on the picture that was recently surfaced online about the revival's proposed comedy gimmick ring attire that Vince had creative come up with? Did you see this Aladdin shit that apparently was floated down from creative and the guy said, "Mm, hard pass? Who said pass? The boys? I'm pretty sure that, that the fellows in the revival. Saw that and thought, I'm, I'm going to take a pass on that. What did you describe it as? It looked Alad- like- Aladdin shit? Aladdin shit, yeah. It wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. How would you describe it? If it's accurate, it doesn't phase me a bit. It doesn't surprise me a bit. Because to, to come up with something that ridiculous wouldn't you have had to have had at least some guidance yeah from the from the top hey i'm gonna i want to put 12 feet of dirt on these guys <laughs> six ain't enough oh god so you guys go get in a room smoke a couple of joints just make sure it's in a state that it's legal so you don't get arrested and get my ass in a sling you guys go get high and come up with the most ridiculous shit you can think of. Aha, Aladdin shit. That's better <laughs> better than anything I can come up with, Conrad. Uh, Bob Collins Jr. writes, did you get pissed when Bunkhouse Buck dumped champagne on you during your promo at Bash at the Beach 94? Did it look like I got pissed? Yes. I, I don't know that I got pissed. I know that it hurt. It burned like hell. Yeah, I think that's something that we fans... Well, I guess anybody who's not been in that situation takes into consideration. Champagne in the eyes has to sting. It does. It burns like hell. It's almost like you've got something in your eye that's like, you know, alcohol or something. Not that kind of alcohol, like rubbing alcohol or something very foreign that shouldn't be in your eyes is in your eyes. And uh, if you go back and look at any celebration with, with sports teams or whatever anybody's celebrating, they get champagne dumped on their head. You get a, you look like you just bit into a turd. Be honest with you. It burns like hell. <laughs> Chance Richardson wants to know, who are some of Arn's favorite referees to work with? Uh, Nick Patrick was awesome. Charles Robinson is awesome. Uh Tommy Young was a great referee. Um, Chad Patton, great referee. And I'm sure somebody's going to get left out. Marty Elias, when I first got to WWE, as far as a agent and producer, I enjoyed uh, his work. Uh, he was with Lucha 
I think as late as this last season they were there, I think it was working for them. Uh, been a lot of great referees that I've had the for- good fortune to work with. Lee Parker has an interesting question. I never really thought of. He says, how did dating work as a heel in the kayfabe era? Uh, meaning how could you be a good guy to your lady without quote unquote breaking kayfabe and how and when did you explain the business to Aaron and how did she react? Um, well, number one, you left that hill shit at the door. If you were trying to get over with a civilian, yep. you know, that shit would not have flown. Uh, I was on my P's and Q's and best behavior. Um, and I knew that I had to go being the fact that how I made a living was either going to be taken one of two ways very badly, or I was probably going to get a little more interest in the guy that was selling shoes at the mall that it came to court, the daughter, at least through the conversation of them getting to know me. Uh, it just turned out that, that Aaron's mom was a fan and she had been coming to the matches. So, and she brought Aaron down the first night that I saw her just kind of after I'd met her a couple times and her mom had asked her to go for the longest time. And I don't think she ever attended any matches until I had met her at the mall and met her at the fair a couple times. And maybe she went down just to see, uh, what this deal was all about. And, um, then I asked for a number and called her and asked to come over and visit. And that's all I did for about a month was just hang out at her house and before they would let her go out with me. So earn my stripes on that deal. And, uh, trust me, there's no cross pollination with that heel on TV and that guy that's knocking on the door wanting to take her mom's daughter and only daughter anywhere. Yeah. I mean, listen, if you're trying to, uh, to quote unquote, get over, you gotta, you gotta play the game, baby. Leave the big star bullshit at the door. It don't fly inside. Uh, Mike wants to know what are some of Arn's favorite opening matches to either a super card or a pay-per-view. And that's been something that we've had a lot of fun talking about on my podcast. I think some of our listeners, when they first start down this podcast road with us, they've been led to believe that the opening match on a big show is the quote unquote curtain jerker position. Uh, but the, the, the brains on these shows say, no, 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 that's a very important match because it sort of sets the tone for the rest of the show. Does one stick out to you as being an all time, great opening match. Nothing as far as exact performers. Let me just tell you how the evolution has changed though. Of the way you put a show together. When I first started, you would start with couple of matches of underneath guys you would move up to meet to mid card guys uh you would go into intermission probably was still being on your mid card guys and then after intermission it would start to be the next match would be your guys that they were wanting to move up to main eventers to the semi-main event who very well may be main eventers already it just so happened that on that particular night, there was another set of main eventers that were on last because maybe they had a hot angle going. Maybe they were in a gimmick match. Something that would you would want to build the card least to most. Now, that's when I first started. 
but you still wanted talented people in that first match uh, because, you know, that was the audience's first, some of them, first time being at a show, first time experiencing what we do, and you want to suck them in with good quality work. They just didn't know who you were. In today's climate on some of these shows, because there are a lot of stars and a lot of guys portrayed as big stars, but they're scattered all throughout the card. And you want to open up right off the top of my head. If you put Jeff Hardy with anybody who is not a first match performer, but if you put him in a match with uh, anybody, any heel, name one, doesn't matter to open the show Right away, you have marquee value and quality right out of the get-go. Boom. National Anthem, Jeff Hardy music hits. Jesus Christ, if, I, if I'm if i a big wrestling fan and I came to watch this event, I went, I'm getting Jeff Hardy already? And that's kind of the mentality, and you set the mood for the night with that first match. Jeff Hardy gets a nice victory over somebody without it going too, too long. Now I'm in a good mood to watch the rest of the show, and that's kind of the mentality, and I and I agree with it. Interesting question here from David Law. I always like these examples because I feel like you're going to have fun with it. Would you rather fight a hundred dog-sized Brock Lesnar's or one Brock Lesnar-sized dog? Well, that's horrible. <laughs> the thought of being drugged down. Bit and then can and then bit even harder and consumed by a hundred Brock Lesnar weenie dogs <laughs> is it, an unbelievable nightmare. <laughs> oh my god, I don't know why that's funny, but it is. Jonathan writes in, Who's looked 40 the longest? You, JJ Dillon, or John Tenta? Well, apparently I've got heat with John, God rest his soul. So I'm not going to say anything about John Tento. And that was, that was something I didn't even know happened, but that's another story for another day. What's my other option? JJ Dillon or Arn Anderson. He has not aged a day. Have you seen JJ lately? He looks the exact same as he did in 1986. 100%. Not one more wrinkle. No baggies under the eyes, you know, nothing. He looks, ex- every time I see him, I get furious with him because he hasn't aged a bit. Right. And, uh, and I love JJ. He's, he's one of my dearest friends. We do stay in touch probably as much or more than anybody in the business. Ed Hawkinson writes in, have you ever misplaced the championship while traveling? Like maybe left it behind in a town. If so, what did you do? Absolutely not. That was the first thing and the last thing I checked for every time I would leave. That's like, you know, it's, that's your livelihood, you know? And, um, that's something that you knew if you, if you left it behind anywhere, or if you just set it down and you weren't guarding it at all times, that could come up missing. That had some value back in the day. Uh, you don't think a wrestling fan would have loved to showed up at work with like one half the world tag straps or the world heavyweight title or television title. Talk about a conversation piece. Absolutely. So, you know, 
again, that's why you had a Halliburton. You could lock it in there. You know, if you would, uh, if you would go back to your room and drop your bags off, you would always lock the title in your bag before you left the room because you didn't know who was going to be watching outside, kick your door open. You know, you would always, you never checked that, that title, uh, in a check bag when you were flying, you always carried it on, which meant you always had to open your bag and go through that aggravation. But if you were being used as a world champion, trust me, the fact that you had to haul the belt around was no inconvenience at all. It was an honor. David Rice wants to know, Double A's mentioned he's a Discovery Channel guy. What's his favorite show and why is it Gold Rush? It's not Gold Rush. It's Shark Week. I can see that. I every time we go to the beach, I t- I beg my family, please don't get in the ocean. Their response always is the same. They look at me like I got two heads, and they go, "Listen, the wall, the water is crystal clear. Whether it be Pensacola Beach or Destin, or if we go to Aruba, the water's crystal clear. We'll be able to see it coming." Now that's brilliant. You would you like to pick this up right here, Conrad? Would you like for me to finish it? Go ahead. That's their comment back to me. We can see them coming. So let me get this right. You're going to just suddenly just come up out of the water and tippy toe back to the beach without get. You're going to be able to get out of there, even though you can see the damn shark coming. You're going to be able to get out of there in time before it gets you. There, there's a time issue here, a timing issue they can swim a lot quicker than you can just go whoop there's a shark let's get out of the water (laughs) i and my we have some of the damnedest fights you have ever seen over getting in the ocean the cement pond for me i can see in there pretty clearly too and until a shark shows up there i'm right yeah i can't argue that uh, Eric writes in because of the injuries wrestlers sustain over the course of a year, do you think there should be a short off season, perhaps around the holidays, the extra time would allow wrestlers time to heal up. And, uh, the last pay-per-view of the year could almost serve as a season finale. What do you think about that? Yeah, I'm up for it. You bet. The fact of the matter is the guys do need more time off than they get, you know, now that's the fact of the matter is if you go back over the last say 10, just go 10 years and you look at the books and look at the injury report, it would stagger you. How many injuries, how many people have been hurt? That's the reason they need, you know, and we know who they are. That's the reason they need a that huge uh, talent list that they have because guys get hurt and ladies get hurt all the time because there's never a time for their body to rest. And even just taking, you know, shutting down for, let's just say, a round figure of three weeks. Let, say if you did it after WrestleMania or if you did do it at Christmas time. But let's just say you built to WrestleMania. I've always felt that's like the end of a year and that next Monday on Raw is the beginning of a new season. I like it. I think it could work. I don't know that we'll see it happen, though. Do you? No. Because there's too much revenue to be made during those three weeks. But it's, I've always felt the guy should have more time. It doesn't matter what I feel that obviously, um, it's just, uh, 
it's a cash it's a cash cow and uh it's going to continue to go 270 days or whatever it is a year plus all the personal appearances you have to make and all the media that no one has ever sees the just randomly being a talent and having to fly to India and promote a tour that may or may not ever make it there or go to Australia to promote. You have no idea what just randomly leaving television and flying to Australia for two days and turning around and making it back by the next TV, what that does to your body, the time changes and all those things. If you've never done it, you have no idea what it does to you. This is an interesting question that we've never really talked about before. Um, and mango is the first person I've ever heard make the comparison. He says, is Cesaro this generation's Brad Armstrong? Hmm. I mean, I get it. If you're talking about a great athletic look and one of the smoothest workers around and Maybe in the back, he's the life of the party. I don't know that, but out in front, it just doesn't come through the microphone. But when it comes to the actual bell to bell work, man, he's hard to beat, but for whatever reason, it doesn't feel like the office is behind him. I could see the comparison, but I don't know these guys nearly as well as you. What say you? Well, I love Brad and, uh, Brad was one of my dearest friends and I have nothing but respect for his work for his era. For the time frame when I was wrestling Brad Armstrong, he was as good as there was. Um, I think Cesaro, and, and I've always thought this ever since I've watched complete matches when he would work with guys and be able to do all of the things that he does, and you see pretty much all of it in a 15 to 20 minute extravaganza, I think he's special. And I think he does things that nobody else can do. He is not a big guy. He has a great physique, but his physique does not supersede the incredible feats of strength that he can do. I mean, he looks like, a, oh, that guy's in good shape. He's, he looks incredible. But he does some things, some feats of strength that are just no guy his size or a guy twice his size should be able to do. And it's phenomenal to witness and watch. You know, I saw him giant swing the great Kali for God's sakes. Picture that in your head. Yeah. You know, just, he just does stuff. That's just, I saw him standing in the ring on the bottom rope, reach over the ropes. Big E was on the floor and pop E up to the apron and standing suplex, superplex, basically, him in from the floor back into the ring. Now, this is Big E. Big E got to be 300 pounds. Just incredible stuff. So to compare him to Brad might not be the right comparison. Cesaro is just one of those guys that he just does some incredible stuff, and it, it'll it go down as just a mystery. Certainly, I'm amazed every time I, I see him do what he's capable of doing in a match. One of the best. Uh, Kevin, yep. Kevin has a fun question for us. He says, hypothetically, there's only two steaks left, but the road warriors and the powers of pain have yet to eat. Who's eating? Ooh. God, I don't know. That's, that's tough. Tough question. Um, 
I guess it would probably matter on how much whiskey Hawk had drank. <laughs> if he drank a little bit, that might be a Broadway. If he had drank way too much, I think maybe Barbarian would, would tip it uh, the way of their, te- their yeah. team, maybe. Sprinkle of Ginger wants to know, has Arn seen any of Zicky Dice, the current NWA television champ? The man is phenomenal on the mic and talented in the ring. Not yet, not yet but if that's a recommendation, I certainly will going forward. Chesler1976 writes, did you ever wrestle Jake the Snake Roberts in a singles match? I don't know why, but I think you guys would have had great chemistry together and your matches would have been top notch. No, uh, Jake and I are from the same era when we were, when Tully and I were in WWF at the time, Jake was a heel. We were a heel. We were heels. We didn't, our paths never crossed big fan of his, uh, work and his thought process and his psychology. And, and, uh, he was pretty much, uh, the all around cowboy. It's, uh, kind of funny that our paths going forward just may cross this late in life. Kind of looks like we're heading that way. I hate Steven Singer. And you know what else I hate? Everything that's happening in the world right now. Our heart breaks for those who have lost loved ones, those who are ill, struggling small businesses, and everyone affected by this. Normally, Steven Singer is in the love business and the happiness business. And this is the time when I would announce his new rose color for Mother's Day, but this year is different. I'm announcing his brand new I Love You 24 karat gold dipped rose. It's a beautiful pink blush color rose that will hopefully brighten your loved one's day. But Steven wants to put a little love in everyone's days. So he's using a portion of every rose sold to support local restaurants by purchasing catering for all the incredible nurses, doctors, and first responders and hospital workers. You can purchase an I love you rose and know that you're sending love to the moms in your life while supporting local restaurants and thanking our essential workers. If you're looking to celebrate someone, simply say, I love you or honor mom on mother's day. Steven singer is shipping as fast and safely as possible. Steven treats his customers as family and is here for you. Go now to I hate for free and touchless delivery. And also include a personalized message of love. That's I hate Steven singer.com. Lots of fun folks or lots of fun questions about the dark side of the ring series on vice people want your opinion on it you and i haven't talked about it have you seen any of season two in the in the dark side of the ring that's on vice seen i've seen it all and it depresses the shit out of me it is dark and it is you know and i looked at brock it's funny you know we just finished watching the uh dino bravo episode and i looked at him again and i went man this is depressing and he went hey Dad, Jesus, it's called the dark side of wrestling. (laughs) What about that don't you get? And uh, I guess he's right. Every episode is is not a good story and probably the worst stories in the history of the business, I would imagine. But it's, uh, I tell you, it is very informational. And most of the stuff that I see on there. You know, I had never crossed paths with, uh, you know, a lot of these guys. I was never around Jimmy Snooker. Uh, or New Jack. You didn't spend any time with him. 
Zero. Zero. So, I mean, you know, I, I, and in those days, you know, you would hear stuff, would, you'd hear a story from another territory, and it would just kind of go in one ear and out the other because it didn't affect you. It had nothing to do with what you were doing. And, uh, you know, there was no internet or any of that stuff. It might be a rumor. Hey, did you hear what happened at one of the WWF shows or one of the ECW shows or one of the Crockett shows, you know, if there was an episode or some situation, you would, you would hear about it and you would think, well, that, you know, that may or may not just be a rumor and it would just kind of fade away. But a lot of information that the producers that are putting this thing together are doing doing their homework and it's uh i've got a lot of wow i didn't know that responses to to everyone and i've watched every one of them you know brody getting getting killed that 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 disturbs me you know if that doesn't sit with you as a performer knowing that could have been any one of us then something's the matter with you you know it's a, it's a remarkable series tonight. There's a new episode on vice channel 271. It's the story of Dr. D David Schultz. It's called the slap heard around the world. Most wrestling fans are familiar with the ABC reporter, John Stossel getting slapped at Madison square garden. When he asked Dr. D this is all fake, right? But what you may not know is the fallout after the story. I've had a chance to see a screener ahead of time and it is a tremendous story. You don't want to miss it. And I think the season finale is Owen Hart. And I, I had a chance to see that one too, buddy. That is like one of the most emotional hours in the history of wrestling. Check it out. And, uh, there's a lot of talk in the trades that maybe they're working on dark side of the ring season three, hypothetically, if that's going to happen, is there a story you'd like to see featured on? No, let them surprise me. couple quick questions and we'll get out of here. Doug writes. Arn, did you ever get on the gas? And if not, why? Well, if I did, then the manufacturers of the gas should be sued (laughs) because it didn't work. No, I I was never on the gas. Um, That was probably why I didn't do better in powerlifting. I tried that before I got in the business on just a local level, and then I tried to push it to to a state level, and uh, those guys were all gassed up, and there was like a difference in my total and the winning total of about 350, 400 pounds, something like that. So I figured out uh, that was not for me. Um, Never got on the gas. but it does work. Let me say this. If done properly, and I know that this is probably going to go against a lot of people's beliefs, but if under the care of a doctor, if you're rehabbing an injury or something of that nature, it can be used in a very positive way. If you abuse it, overuse it, or you just use it to get bigger and stronger and abuse it that way, it can have long-term health issues. And I've seen guys that have been on the gas a long, long time when they get off or if it just their body adjusts to it or whatever the reasons are, there is a whole different look and the damage that, that they occur that occurs in those guys is for life. So uh, I don't encourage it. I do know that if used in the right ways and then the proper dosages and under a doctor's care, can be beneficial to healing. If you had to guess in the sort of height of the steroid era, we'll call it 
mid to late eighties, early nineties, what percentage of professional wrestlers do you think were dabbling in steroids? 60%. Yeah, I believe that. Let's do a fun question. And then we'll, we'll got two more and we'll wrap it up. Francis writes in Arn, what's the coolest watch you own? I have two watches, uh, and my wife pretty much bought both of them for me. So I love them both. I would have never bought a Rolex for myself. I'm just too cheap. Um, I would never spend that much money on myself. Wasn't raised that way. And it's kind of insane. But uh, for my 20th year in the business, my wife bought me a uh, Submariner Rolex, which I value and uh, treasure. And I own a, another watch um, tag, which is red and black, my jo- University of Georgia colors, which, number one, is it just my favorite colors. That was my ring attire on a lot of my gear, red and black combinations. I just like the way it looked. And uh, I've taken care of them. I haven't lost them. Nobody has stolen them. I haven't broken them. I've had them both for quite some time. And uh, that's only two time pieces. And that, along with the David Yerman cross that she bought me as well, which is my protector. Uh, I haven't taken it off in a long, long time. That's the only really three pieces of jewelry that I own. Ray Burns writes, and this is going to wrap us up today. Hey, Arn, who would you say is your greatest competitor? Let me double back before I get my ass in a sling along with my wedding band. Of course. Come on. We knew that. Yeah, I, I just took that for granted. That's not jewelry. That's part of me. I was fixing to say, I don't even think you could get that off at this point. Could you? That's just permanently in your skin now. Yeah. Yeah. God, I know her put her over a, a lot, but man, without her, there is no me. That's for sure. Well, there is no Arn show. I'll tell you that. I mean, that's for sure. See, you had to go right back there, didn't you? <laughs> Let the world know I can't cut on a computer. Well, one of my favorite things ever is one day when I called a few minutes early and Aaron wasn't there to just bounce. I'm sorry. Mrs. Anderson wasn't there to just bounce right in. Uh, you said, hello. And I said, Hey man, what's going on? And you said, Oh, I did it. I just took that arrow <laughs> thing and, and mashed that green answer button. And it worked. Is that all there is to this? And I thought, God damn, he's learned the internet. Look at here. Well, not officially, and you are family now, so it is Aaron. <laughs> but, uh, hey, listen, I have no aptitude for this shit. I am dyslexic when you look at a computer screen. So I've came a long way. You have. I mean, who would have thought two years ago you'd have a podcast and be using Skype, and there's just no way. I mean, you, you occasionally will even take a peek when we're doing these Q&As, and you'll say, man, why is everybody asking about Batista's dick all the time? So you're like scrolling Twitter. Like no one would believe this is a real thing for Arn Anderson. Yeah, I can, you know, I can work the phone gimmick. It's just the computers that give me fits. Well, who gave you fits in the ring? Ray wants to know who was your greatest competitor. And, uh, I think that's a pretty fair question. We've, we've talked about a lot of your favorite matches and favorite opponents, but if you had to pick your greatest competitor, Flair has often said it was steamboat for him. Who was it for Arn? Well, what does that mean, greatest? The, the guy I had the best chemistry with? The best matches. Like if you best had, matches? Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, gosh. You know, I felt I was better in tags. Yeah. So, 
you got to put, uh, you know, I enjoyed the Midnight Express short program that we had. Rock and Roll Express, and these same names, you know, come up time after time. The Rockers, uh, Demolition, enjoyed working with Ricky and Steamboat and Dustin Rhodes that night in Savannah where we're, Ricky was a um, surprise. He had the dragon head on, and we switched the titles, Larry and I, to those guys. It was the best tag match Larry and I ever had. He was on that night, kicking ass. Uh, didn't have to pry him off the apron. Thank God. And, man, did I enjoy that. I also enjoyed Ricky Steamboat, one that was not televised, and Dustin Rhodes and Bobby Eaton and I went an hour in the Omni. Non-televised event. Man, was that fun. Why do you think so many guys point to Ricky Steamboat as being their best opponent? Was it you guys were just you know, perennial heels and, and he was such a great baby face. Was it his aggression? Was it his comeback? What was it that made Ricky so special? Because he catered to making the match the best it could be. And he was, if not the best baby face, I'm talking pure baby face of all time. Don't know who was. I don't know who I'd put ahead of him. There might be some you can throw in there to, you know, go, okay, well, could be either or. But he was so dedicated to selling and making that heel that he was working with the best he could be. He just was the total businessman. He looked incredible. His work was incredible. There was nothing about Ricky Steamboat that you could dislike. And he just, he was the perfect baby face. And he made you as a heel just feel like a monster in the ring because he sold everything so well. Well, we hope we sold you guys on uh, subscribing to the podcast, leaving us a five-star review. And if you haven't already, go check us out at adfreeshows.com. You would have gotten this show early and ad-free if you were already up there. We should mention next week, we're going to be covering payback 2015 you can get that show early as well and on top of that we've got a fatal four-way match it's seth rollins randy orton dean ambrose and roman reigns uh, neville is going to be working with king barrett naomi and tamina against the bella twins john cena against rusev bray wyatt against ryback the new day against cesaro and tyson kidd you know we love that one already sheamus and Dolph ziggler and uh it's going to be a loaded card man this was a fun show it was in uh, Baltimore. I think I was actually at this one, if I have my timeline right. Baltimore, Maryland, Royal Farms Arena. Uh, this was uh, an interesting time for the WWE, and I'm looking forward to us breaking it down. And I think a lot of our listeners have enjoyed when you and I talk about the more recent WWE stuff. Well, hey, like I said, you know, I, I go off of memory and I watched as much of the show as I could. But, you know, a lot of that time I was very busy and putting my own stuff together. So we'll go back and maybe you can remind me of what I forgot. And maybe I can come up with a few things that nobody knew about. Looking forward to it. If you haven't already, follow us on Twitter. Don't forget you can ask a question next week's show. But two weeks from now, it's another hashtag ask Arn anything. And you get to pick the brain of the all-timer, the Hall of Famer, the Enforcer, Double A. And it's every Tuesday right here on Westwood One. It's Arn. 
I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money. But don't take my word for it. Now, um, James, what made you come to Save With Conrad in the first place? Um, I needed a refi. Uh, I've been listening to Conrad's show for a couple of years. It was it was very you know it was very competitive uh, with what I was seeing locally and with my current lender. So I just decided to throw my business at Conrad. Was there anything specific that Conrad said on the shows that kind of made you take that first step? Interest rates are historically low, and two months without a mortgage payment seemed a really good deal. Um, off the top of your head, how much money were you able to save uh, through Save with Conrad? Man, I don't know what what the overall savings is going to be. I I needed the cash out to cover some other um, other uh, outstanding debts and the. The rate I dropped, I was able to drop the rate down by almost a point and um, basically keep my same payment but cash out enough to cover those outstanding debts and um, have a little uh, leftover for a rainy day. Oh, that's great. It's pouring down rain here. Would you recommend Save with Conrad to any of your friends or family? Oh, sure. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.